story. I uh, just on a side note, since we want to start this um, and tell a little backstory, you and I actually met on Zoom in a game night um, group hosted by our friend Adrian. Shout out to Adrian. Yes. And I had only met Adrian once before through his best friend, Ross. Shout out to Ross, who's been on the show before. Uh, Ross Ingram, great interview. Um, and we started, I think, what did you guys started? I came in the like third week or something, but it was in March. It was like right when quarantine hit. Yeah. And you guys did three days a week, different games. Game nights. You did code names, um, trivia, and then what was the other one? You uh, did another one. Celebrity Fishbowl on Saturdays. Fish, that's right, on yeah. Saturdays. So I came on and did trivia, and I was like, I have no idea what I'm saying. And and I was like, I feel so stupid. These people are so smart. And I was like, I know Disney facts. And you're like, me too. <laughs> and that's how we bonded. And yep. we have continued to do this. I think I've missed three because of uh, three because of work. Um, but we've done it every Thursday night, including we're going to do it tonight. Um, but we do code names and the only other time I've actually physically met you is once and Sturgis and my mom threw me a surprise birthday party, a COVID birthday, and you and the entire code names like zoom group showed up to my house and I've never been more surprised in my entire life because it was the weirdest thing. It's only what I can imagine someone on, on a show like 90 Day Fiance could like come like experience. It was, you have a full-blown relationship with these people. We knew so much about each other. We got to know each other on such an intimate level because we're in quarantine together. Then you show up at my house. I was not prepared. And I'm like, these people are real? Like, it was incredible. So that is how we met. I just want everyone to know this because I think that it's like the cutest little friendship love story. And it just shows how incredibly miraculous the internet really is and how you can create such bonds with people who you've never even met before. And I think that that is so important in this day and age for people to realize, like, obviously there's trolls, right? And there's catfish and all these things, but it doesn't need to be one-on-one face-to-face to create a connection with someone and, and learn so much. And yeah, I don't know. That was my, my spiel. I just think that the, the story is just so unique and so cool that I want people to know that, that, you know, you can create friendships even if it's not in the same room. Yeah, exactly. I I agree. I love that story. And I think it's so (laughs) cool that like we, you know, out of all the, you know, generations of people will be able to say like, oh my gosh, we became friends during quarantine. Like, yes. When else is that going to happen? You know? And no, I feel like the the relationships feel like deeper. It feels like because the time we've spent, been together has been talking, like learning about each other, you know, right. playing games, you know, thing. Yes, we do that if we hung out in person, but I feel like when you do, like when you go to parties or hang out in person, there's like a lot of other right. distractions and right. things going on. So you really get a chance to kind of dial in on, you know, the people you're meeting or getting to know. And 
I don't know. Just, well, you know what so I think pure. was really special, which I, I don't know if you feel this way, but I know I felt this way, is a lot of people recommended towards the beginning of quarantine, a lot of people in the mental health industry and, and advocates and people that I know, they would always talk about you should have check-ins, right? You should have check-ins mm-hmm. with your friends. You should have check-ins with your family. And like, yes, I'm, my family and I are like so beyond close, like sickeningly close. And I have very good friends. But there was something about having the consistency of knowing you're Mm going to see the same people once, if not twice a week, who you don't know. And we all are in different parts of not only California, but some people were in New Jersey. Some people were, you know, did we have someone from like somewhere else in the other country? Like something crazy. Like there were just a lot, a lot, a lot of individuals all over and from all different walks of life and all different careers. And the bond that brought us together was quarantine. And it felt really special to have these check-ins to know, you know, these are strangers. Ultimately, we're all having this shared experience together. And to know that we weren't in it alone yeah. It felt really nice because there's something about having a friend and, you know, you're like, oh, you know, yes, we're all going through this, but we have each other. But to know actual people who you've never physically met before and experience the same things and be able to almost have this talk therapy session, right? You know, and yeah. then get to know each other where, you know, um, our, our friend Tristan, my new friend Tristan, you know, he's always traveling in a different spot and he's been, <laughs> you know, safe traveling, but like by himself, always like hiking and, and, you know, climbing mountains. And it would be so cool. We'd go on a game night and he'd be there and, and explain his story. Or, you know, Adrian was in Palm Springs and I happened to be there. And, you know, we were all safely quarantined and had just taken tests, but we came to meet up to see each other and check in. But I think it's very important for people to have these check-ins after quarantine as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think like, you know, too, it was also something to get excited for, to look forward yeah. to during yeah, the- something to live for. Yeah. Because <laughs> there was so much unknown, like when quarantine would be over, you know, like when, well, I mean, you and I both know the heartbreak when Disney shut down. I mean- oh. I am wearing my Minnie Mouse sweatshirt in honor of you. Literally, I just, I, the heartbreak that we are going through for Disneyland being closed and when is it going to open again? And we don't know. And you and I have been living vicariously watching videos of people shooting POVs of the rides. So we feel like we're on the rides. Exactly. Yeah. I I didn't realize how dependent I was on the (laughs) on the like possibility that I could be at Disney like next week or something. Like that's always in my head. Like I could be at Disney next week. Like sometimes I didn't go for a year. I knew like it was there and it existed (laughs) and it's like fine. And now it like doesn't exist. Oh yeah. And it's like this massive, like, I don't know, vacancy that I'm just like dealing with. I know it's, we're lucky. We're so blessed and lucky to have it and be able to go, you know, and stuff like that. And we're, and we're safe and we're happy. And like when it opens, it'll be just that much more of a magical experience and we'll be able to go together. But yes, it is these things that you don't realize that you've taken advantage of. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds so stupid, like, Oh, Disneyland, but it's like, you know, whenever I felt really depressed or I had, um, I, I just felt lost. It sounds so stupid, but like Disney is my emotional support and I would go 
and just feel like a kid again. And those memories, those wonderful, happy memories that I had as a child would just be like reignited in me. Exactly. And you get to see that magic in, cause it's like filled with little kids. So you get to see that magic in all of them too. And yeah, you feel, it's just in a, it's an escape and it's so happy. It's oh my God. It's so wonderful. You could sit, although, you know, there are some people that are sitting in the corner, like smoking at Disneyland being like, these kids, they have no idea what their life is about to become. (laughs) Well, when they get older and feel that way, they can come back to Disney and get to. Honestly, I always think about that. There's that one like super unhappy person that is just like shit face in the corner, like just pissed that his family brought him there. And I'm making it a guy because of course it would have to be a guy because a girl cannot not love Disneyland. But yeah, how did you get into nutrition? Because it's so different than being an actor. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And it definitely is totally different. Um, So I, like my whole life, I've been a performer. I love the arts and things like that. Um, Acting, of course, and music and dancing, um, which we've also connected over. I love dancing. Um, (laughs) So it was about like maybe halfway through college undergrad, I was majoring in media arts and design um, with like a focus on digital video and cinema. Um, And I love it, still love it. Um, But I kind of, as I was kind of discovering and learning more things about myself, I was realizing that there was one thing that I was learning about myself that was missing. um, Mm -hmm. If I were to only pursue, you know, the arts in my future, I felt like, um, and although being a part of the arts is so helpful to so many people and, and putting out so much positivity and love into the world, I, I felt like my, that one-on-one connection, like that, um, um, being able to work with someone one-on-one, like, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course the bond that you, yeah. Instead of like within the art world, it's kind of like, you're doing work that is helping a mass group of people, right. but also felt like, you know, how, how can I find a way to help people in like that, that, um, personal sense, like that right. one-on-one sense, right. connect right. really like one-on-one connections with people. Um, and I was really finding that I, I was enjoying that. And I was like, you know, like that feels like a missing thing, something that I, I really want to be a part of my, my future, whatever I end up doing. Um, that being said, at the same time, I was experiencing a lot of stomach issues and just like, just my stomach was hurting all the time. I was having problems with like energy levels and I was just really like, what's going on? Like, why does everything I eat hurt my stomach? And so I kind of like dove into like research and trying to figure out what was going on. That kind of introduced me into the nutrition world. Mm. Um, And it just amazed me that you could actually like your diet could affect your, your health and your family's health and your longevity and all of these things. So it just amazed me and really like piqued my interest and inspired me. And I was like, you know what, you know, when, while, while I was trying to figure out what I could do in my life where I could really help people one-on-one, um, I was like, you know, nutrition, like I, I really am finding an interest in this and what better would it be for me to learn more about nutrition to help me, my family, but also to, to have that missing piece of being able to really help people one-on-one with that connection. Um, Exactly. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I of course finished up that, you know, my um, bachelor of arts and all of that, cause I still love it, but I wanted to get my master's as well. So it just made sense to, to go into nutrition, um, pursue that. And I knew too, in my research, becoming a nutritionist, nutritionist <laughs> and dietitian, um, cause uh, dietitian is like the, um, like the medical credential, like the credential gotcha. version of a nutritionist. Um, I knew that being that I could always do that in addition to my creative pursuits. So right. I just felt like, you know, it can, I can get the best of both worlds. Why not add it to the it. resume? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I love learning and, you know, like I said, I wanted to get my master's. So I was like, this, this makes sense. Let's do it. You know, I can, when you were younger, did you have like a body, a body issue, not body issues, but, but have problems with food, with, with, you know, in your family, just in general, was that something that you grew up seeing where people were sick? Like, I just know a lot of nutritionists who I knew, you know, now they look back at it and they were like, oh, you know, my mother was constantly sick and we never knew why. And then the truth of the matter was it was her diet or, you know, a, a family member was always depressed. And then they found out that food was actually the, the bad food that they were eating and all the process and all the, you know, fake, disgusting shit basically was mm-hmm. affecting the mind because that's a huge part. And that's what, you know, we're going to talk about, but that was a huge, huge effect as to why, um, the depression kicked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it seemed as far as like being around it, I not so much my family, but it was me that was experiencing the issues. Right. Like, um, you know, ever since I was little and the doctors, no one could really tell me. And I mean, it was like this and that, and like, maybe right. you go off of this or try this. And it just was all very confusing. Um, um, so I would say I didn't really start thinking about it and, and we can definitely I definitely want to talk more about this later, but I think I started really thinking about it too. And maybe not so much the positive parts of nutrition, but, you know, just with kind of body image things as you start to get, you know, I was, I was a cheerleader and dancer. So, and you, you know, how, how much you gotta be, yeah, you gotta be just Yes, exactly. Yeah. Just the, all, all those pressures and, you know, comparisons that you make. Um, yeah. So I think that kind of started that, that question of like, what's going on, you know, uh, um, and, and can start this kind of negative relationship. And, you know, so I think that that all kind of put into, put into play wanting to learn more about it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and just kind of figure it out. Cause it seems like there's just so much information out there and what the right thing is and what the wrong thing is. And when were you, when, when were you in dance that you, um, like that you noticed that like bodies, like, I feel like for me, body image and, and seeing people around me and noticing like, oh my God, that girl is so much skinnier than me, or that girl has better boobs or a better ass, like all this stuff. How old were you? Cause for me, I didn't, I don't feel like I really discovered it till I was in high school. So I think my first experience with it, um, with like any form of body shaming, I guess, was probably in middle school. Um, 
I was on the skinnier end and my legs especially, um, which I get from my dad. He just has, you know, just skinny yeah. little legs. And, Gorgeous um, little legs. <laughs> <laughs> and, but at, you know, at the time when kids are just finding anything to break you down, you know, that was one thing that, that kids would use, would make fun of me for, and, you know, call me like spaghetti legs or chicken legs or stop. Oh. Yeah. So I think that was my first, like, wait, what, this is a thing. You know, I hadn't really thought about right. it before until right. that happened. And then that just starts, you know, which I'm sure for, for most people right around that age is when it start you start actually thinking, like looking in the mirror, being like, wait, what? Right. Like you didn't know that there was anything right. until, you know, comes to your attention. And then of course we're bombarded with all the images from the media. Um, you know, back then it was magazines, um, Us weekly people, all of those. Yes. Yeah. Tiger beat. And oh, what was tiger there? beat. Yes. Yeah. And teen Vogue. And teen Vogue. yep. What was the Cosmo pot? There was a teen, was it teen Cosmo or Cosmo? No, wasn't it Cosmo girl? Cosmo girl. Yeah. Cosmo. Was girl. that it? I think so. Something like that. But yeah, I mean, that starts it, you know, then when you're in your sports, you know, you, you do, it kind of just like is this first domino that, that right. once you have your first, that you start paying attention to it more and then you start questioning yourself and that's when you start, you know, you start tearing away that beautiful organic relationship you've developed with your body and your food yeah. and, and it, you, it's like society starts ripping it away and you start going further and further away from that organic natural balance that you have of, of, you know, your self-love and appreciation. And-, and it's totally not just girls, these young guys writing you, these young boys saying, you know, how do I build muscle? How do I do this? Mm-hmm. Because a, a 14, 15 year old boy should not be worried about how they're like bulked up, right? That shouldn't exactly. even be a thought, but that is a thought because you see that now. You see it with young guys who are just like, you know, it's a good example. And I don't know him at all. I've never met him. But I, I was watching the Zac Efron um, docuseries on Netflix. And he was talking about how he, when he was doing Baywatch, he like starved himself and he only mm-hmm. ate certain things, literally didn't even put one piece of carb in his body because he was like, I need to do A, B, and C. And because he wanted to have those big bulky muscles and look like a, a superhero ultimately. Um, and it was funny. He goes on this tour and they were talking about food and they were talking about nutrition and what you should be eating, what you shouldn't be eating. And I believe it was when they were in Italy and they were talking about, they went to this town where it was the um, biggest area where the most people over a hundred years old live. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about diet and they were talking about, you know, pasta and wine and, and only fish and he, and how they live longer. And I believe this is the moment where it turned for him. And he kind of just, you saw him go through this, this, this like, what this, this like moment, this thought process of, I was doing all I could to be as strong and as big and bulky as I possibly could. And this whole time I was not only hurting my body and, and not fulfilling myself, but I'm also decreasing my life because I'm not living the way that I possibly should be doing and eating the way that I should and putting yeah. the proper nutrients in. And I think people have that idea of, oh, well, you can't have any carbs and you can't do this and you can't do that. But 
but that's not true at all. Sometimes that's the worst thing, especially for your mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. I I totally agree, and and that's what's hard. I think that's probably one of the more challenging parts of being a nutrition and being a dietitian is people asking you about like oh this specific diet and that specific diet, um, and you know, basically modern dieting and modern diet culture has, is, you can argue that it's really terrible for mental health. Um, and you know, they've, they've actually found research has shown that dieting, going into dieting, doing any kind of restrictive behavior, anything with rules around it, um, contributes to more, especially if you're going in it for weight loss. Um, it contributes to more weight gain after when it's all said and done. Right. Cause you just binge and you're just like, I'm just give me everything. Exactly. Well, that's exactly it. They've, they've found that when you do restrict yourself, your body basically turns into, goes into starvation mode. It basically is like, okay, you know, we, we were restricted. We didn't have what we needed. So the next time that you're around that food or whatever you're restricting that, that natural mode kicks in and your body's like, like eat. I don't know if I'm going to have this again. So we need to eat, eat, right. eat, eat, eat. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, that, you know, as far as weight loss, that's, it makes it worse actually. So, right. um, they found, I think the study was, um, they took a bunch of people that were at the same weight. Um, they started off at the same weight and they had these people, one of the group of people did, um, were doing yo-yo dieting, which is basically like you're jumping from one diet to the next. And then the other group of people that, um, just didn't follow a diet, just kind of ate, ate however they wanted to eat the group of dieters while they did lose weight initially, when, when they looked into the long-term effects of what happened, they ended up gaining more weight than they initially started. Um, than the group that didn't do any dieting at all. And they've also found that people who do go on yo-yo diets that have, you know, the, the quick weight gain and weight loss, um, actually have a higher instance of chronic health conditions, uh, later in life and, um, also contributes to a lot of mental health, um, issues. So, especially um, control, like I know, you know, um, for me, I'm, it sounds so bad, but people are like, oh, what do you do to, you know, have the body that you have? And I'm like, I eat pasta all day long. And honestly, it's because A, probably because I'm Italian and my body can handle it. But B, I, it's what makes me happy when I'm ha- when I'm not eating something that makes me happy. And yes, like I'm I'm a vegetarian, right? So like I eat everything possibly I can that's green and <laughs> colors and all of that stuff. But when you the, the few times that I have done like juice cleanses and stuff like that, I am miserable. I'm miserable because I'm putting all of my energy into the control and like stopping myself from like going to the like deep end that I end up just giving up and it's way worse than when it started. Exactly. Like way worse. And, and that's kind of the vicious cycle that's associated with diet, dieting. Um, you know, once you, once you start it, you, you basically start because of all those pressures we were talking about, you know, that you get in society. So you're like, shoot, you know, I need to, I need to go on a diet like fast. I need to lose weight. So you start restricting yourself. Um, and another big part, which we can talk about too is, yeah, please tell me everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, you end up, uh, you know, 
going on that diet. And then because you're, you're dealing with, um, you're dealing with feeling awful because you're restricting yourself. You're not getting to eat the foods you want to eat. And then eventually, because this happens to everyone, you eventually eat it because most of these diets aren't sustainable. Um, And then you feel awful about yourself for doing it. Um, You feel like a failure. You feel like it was just a matter of self-control or, you know, mindset. But that's also not true because that's basically saying that I'm going to overcome my natural biology. You're putting all this pressure on yourself to push past those natural instincts to want to feed yourself, to provide your brain with energy, um, you know, and you're equating that to your own failure. Right. So right. that just further pushes, you know, uh, you know, negative um, uh, self-esteem, lower, lowered self-esteem, um, feeling like a failure. And by doing that, you're like, okay, what can I do to fix this? go on another diet again, right? Like I just need to try again. I just, this time I'll get it this time. So then you have your last meal, you know, your last good meal before you start your diet, you enter the diet again. And then the same thing happens. Well, it's ultimately like you're setting yourself up for failure every single time. Exactly. (laughs) Because even if you succeed at the diet, and even if you do it for a year, there's going to be one day where you're not going to want to do it or one day where you cheat. And then you're like, well, shit, I waited all this time and then this is what happens. Like the one time I like fail myself. So we were talking about also earlier, emotional eating is really a thing. I think a lot of people um, will use that as an excuse. Oh, well, I'm just emotional eating. Like I'm just eating my feelings away. Like it's not a big deal. I'm just having a bad day, but that's actually a real thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely a real thing. And using food as a way to, you know, deal and cope with stress, that's, that's okay. But, you know, you do have, um, you, you have some downsides with that. Um, and part of why we go to that is because it, you know, a lot of this diet culture that we're talking about is, is, you know, of the restriction. So you're allowing yourself to have something that is normally restricted, which makes you feel good. But what happens afterwards you end up feeling bad again, right? So it's not, it may be like temporarily solving the problem, but um, when it's all said and done, you end up feeling worse and bad about yourself for doing it. Um, and then, you know, kind of continues that, that vicious cycle. The other piece of it, of emotional eating is, is a lot of times when you're using that as your only way of dealing with emotions, you're, you're bottling up your emotions. You're basically, I, I kind of like to call them food blinders, like you're putting on food blinders that's preventing you from actually dealing with the emotion or the stressor, the stressor or the thing that triggered that emotion in the first place. Um, so, you know, when you, when you begin to develop a better relationship with food, you can realize that, you know, it doesn't have to be the one thing that is going to make you feel better. And if anything, kind of diving into, okay, like kind of assessing why you want to eat that thing, you know? Okay. So, um, this is kind of part of like the, the steps of, of one of the steps of going, becoming a more intuitive eater is asking yourself, okay, why, why am I going for this food? Like what's going on? Like, what am I feeling? You know, trying to think of the source of that, of that feeling. And then, ask yourself, um, what do I need? 
is if it is food to make you feel a little bit better, totally fine. But if it's possibly something else, you know, like that could be a bit more therapeutic, like journaling, right? Writing it down, like what, what you're feeling, talking with a friend, reaching out to, you know, to someone that's supportive to you, um, doing something creative, maybe like doing something else to get your mind off it. That wouldn't, that would actually make you feel better afterwards rather than binging on something, you know, that you didn't really want, but just felt like it would make you feel better. And then you feel gross and stuffed and, you know, not comfortable afterwards. Um, so, you know, asking yourself, is there something else I can turn to, to help, like, help me feel happier, like going for a walk or, you know, um, doing a dance. <laughs> I know there's whatever it is. Listen, is we love everyone. to dance. So that is always a good way to do it. But no, I think that's really important. So everyone just know that emotional eating and eating your feelings and that's very normal. You're not wrong to feel that way. It's totally normal. Just think about it. And let's think of other creative ways that we can put those feelings into something else just so we don't feel bad. Yeah. And, and ask yourself like, you know, am I, am I really hungry? Like, is, is this a hunger feeling that I'm feeling or is this, you know, just an, am I, am I head hungry? That's kind of what I like to call it. Like, am I head hungry, which is kind of like that emotional hunger or am I like stomach hungry? Um, and if it's head hungry, that's when you, you go to that crossroads and ask yourself, okay, do I want to still eat this? Like, you know, will it still help or, you know, yeah. Like, is there another way I could, I could analyze the source of, of my feelings and actually seek something that could help you out even better, help you, help you with that feeling rather than ignoring the feeling, pushing past it, putting on those food blinders and not actually dealing with the source of of what you were feeling in the first place. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, I love I, that. Know, it's it's hard. It's something we all experience, but um, it, it, thinking about it in day. that way, I think like helps us just be able to deal with, you know, the, the natural stressors and emotions of life even better. Just kind of having that, that knowledge of, and being able to take a pause and, and, ask, and check in with yourself. Like, why am I, why am I going towards this? Like, what can I, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. And I think what people don't don't know, and maybe you can help explain this, is people don't understand what's in your gut affects your health and it affects your mind, most importantly. And mm-hmm. the connection between your gut and your mind is so important. People have no idea that that's a thing. Do you want to maybe explain that to people? Because I explain it in a very, like first grade level. And I feel like I'm going to let the like master's teacher, like explain this to people. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, it's especially nutrition research. Now they're starting to find more and more connections between your gut health and your mental health. And, you know, we always heard like those age old, you know, sayings like, just trust your gut, you know, like what is, what's your gut telling you to do? And it seems like kind of like, you know, not Juju, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nothing based in science, but come to find out it, it actually is based in science. So, um, basically serotonin, which is really important neurotransmitter, um, right. you know, important in, in so many things, um, for your brain function, your mood regulating, you know, stress levels. And I mean, it's everything. Um, so 
95% of your serotonin is actually made in your GI tract. Wow. That's mm-hmm. a lot, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you have like a hundred million cells that are lining your GI tract that are helping contribute to producing that oh so important neurotransmitter that's, you know, important in regulating all of that stuff that we're talking about. Um, and, uh, you know, it just basically when you don't have good gut health, Mm -hmm. it um, lowers that level that, that you are, that you're making and it lowers the functioning of that. So, you know, having good gut health looks like making sure that your diet is filled with probiotics. Right. Um, you know, and that for, for people who, you know, aren't vegan that you can find that in yogurt, kefir, um, you know, cultured drinks like that. Um, you know, more plant-based options would be anything that's fermented, like fermented vegetables, sauerkraut, kimchi. Um, my personal and who favorite. doesn't love kimchi. Ugh. Just had some yesterday. <laughs> Wait, what's your personal favorite? Favorite kind of kimchi? No, 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 no. You oh. said your favorite kind of cultured. Oh, oh, my okay. My personal favorite is um is kombucha. Oh, it's like swallowing boogers. Oh, you don't like it? <laughs> oh. Well, okay, wait, no, no, no. I'll take this back. I used to be obsessed with kombucha. And I think only because when I was shooting a show in Vancouver, we didn't uh, kombucha, you could not get the specific kind that I liked. I liked the GT kombucha and it yeah. couldn't sell across the country. So I used to go to Whole Foods in Seattle, put it in my car, drive it two hours to Vancouver, and I would get like cases for everyone on set. I loved it. Then I don't know what it is. Maybe I got like sick one time and I don't think, and it was definitely not from the kombucha, but I definitely got sick. There was some weird taste. And from the day and after that, I was like, nope, can't do it. But we do have it in the house because Sturgis loves it. So it, it is there. But my form of probiotic is I just take the powder or pill form yeah. that you can just put in the fridge. I even give it to my dog, Peewee, because he has bad arthritis. And our, the, the probiotic is what the uh, holistic vet recommends. Like it does everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say that too. Um, you know, for anyone that that especially if you you're not a big fan of fermented foods or you know yogurt or keeper, the the pills are just fine too. Um, yeah. You know, and the key is getting a variety. So as many different strains, you know how they say those little different strains on the back, getting right. m- many different kinds in there, kinds of good bacterial strains, all just promotes the health and well being of your gut. Um, so. So, you know, there's that, then there's also in order to also promote your gut health, you also want to have what are called known as prebiotics, which are basically, um, fibrous foods, fruit and vegetables. Um, you know, as you know, it's basically fiber, soluble fiber, um, and getting a variety of that and, and fruits and vegetables is, is the key. And what's the best fiber, um, like fruit or vegetable or both? Yeah. Uh, so berries are actually super high in fiber. Wow. Yeah. Like blueberries and stuff. Blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, um, blackberries. I'll never forget. I heard Oprah one time and I don't know why this always stuck to me. She said that she eats blueberries all day long because it gets rid of cellulite. And I'll never <laughs> forget. Is that because it's a prebiotic? 
I, or was that just like a fake Weight Watchers? Uh, might be a sounds kind of pseudoscience-y. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to see the study. I mean, if it did, that would be amazing. Um, you know, it might just kind of be part of the fact that it's a healthy food. And, right, you know, right, like, right. I don't know why. I'll <laughs> never forget that. And I'll never forget the video that went viral of Oprah saying, sweet potato. And it's the funniest <laughs> thing. I'm going to show it to you tonight. So yes, cool. you have to. I don't even, I don't know the sweet potato one, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So we need prebiotic foods. We need probiotic. Now for prebiotic, obviously fruits and vegetables are really delicious. So people should just be eating that in general, but there's no like prebiotic pill powder form. Is there? Yeah. Yeah. They have them. Um, I, but, I but always... it's not hard. It's not hard to eat your fruit and vegetables. It's a right. little harder to eat cultured foods if you don't like that tanginess. Exactly. Yeah. And I will always like first and foremost support like getting your nutrition, getting your nutrients from the whole foods from, right. Because there's also a ton of, um, so it's a thing called phytochemicals, which are these amazing cancer fighting properties. Um, they're kind of in the family of antioxidants and, um, they are antioxidants. They, um, help, uh, help with, free radicals, basically getting rid of free radicals and, um, really helps with your, with cancer prevention and, and things like that. Um, and they haven't even discovered all the, all the, um, uh, flavonoids and, and phytochemicals that are in food. They've, they've discovered tons, like hundreds, but they, they suspect that there's like thousands more that we don't even know of. And we don't, we, we don't know the benefits of them. And the only way we're going to get those is through eating the actual food itself. And that's through prebiotic and probiotic, or that's through another type of food. Oh, um, same thing. So, so, uh, so all of those phytochemicals and antioxidants and flavonoids, all that good stuff is already in all those fruits and vegetables. Amazing. So, the, the prebiotic part is just the fiber part that's also right. in fruits and vegetables. Um, so that's where you're going to get that, that gut health benefit, but right. so you're going to get all the other amazing benefits that come in those fruits and vegetables from those antioxidants and phytochemicals um, that you know have much greater benefits, even more so than just for your gut health too. So right. um all, all kinds of things, like I said, that they don't even they don't even know yet. So that's why I I always promote the the, the real the whole food. So you just right. ensure that you get everything you can get, and make sure it's organic or not. You know, have hormones injected in it or it's fake grown, whatever it's called. Like even for fruits and vegetables, I feel like there's chemicals that are sprayed on so many fruits and vegetables to make them a certain color or make them look yeah. great. Um, and I feel like it's very important, even if it doesn't look great, I feel like if it's organic, like you're better off going with that one than the pretty one, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I say if you can afford it, cause you know, I know that that's a big, a big thing is financial totally. foods can be expensive and that bums me out. I think it shouldn't be the case. I think right. healthy food should be affordable to everyone, but here we are, you know, so, so yes, if you can afford it, I do, I do like to promote, um, you know, buying organic, if you can buying local, of course. Um, I think uh, local is the most important. And when you go to a farmer's market, I mean, farmer's markets I go to are, are actually cheaper than, than most of the grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and yeah, and then you're supporting you're supporting your local farmers. Um, you're also it's fresher, so you have right. less time for all you know all of those nutrients to you know they're they're not as uh, when, when you're transporting it across the country, think of all the, the days and weeks that go into that. Um, so yeah, I, um, but you know, if, if you can't afford it, um, or you can only afford certain things, there's, there's definitely certain kinds that are certain fruits and vegetables that are better to buy organic than others. And kind of my rule of thumb is the thicker, the outside covering, the less you have to worry about making sure that it's, Oh, um, so like oranges would be okay if they're not organic bananas. I'd say, I'd say put it, I'd put it lower on my list. It's not that it wouldn't be important if you can, but yeah, I'd put it lower. No, lower. but that's like basic. Right. Right. Yeah. So things like berries and your, your, you know, your fresh greens, like your, your mixed greens and spinach, tomatoes, um, even potatoes, if you're eating the skins, um, those are things that I would, I, I tend to prefer to buy organic, just, you know, right. just in case. Also, a lot of these uh, chemicals and, and things that are sprayed on are water soluble. So if you, if it's just too expensive for you, making sure that you do give it a good wash, um, that can get a lot of that off too. Um, oh, that's good to know. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot, you know, and some of it, some of it, you can be argue, you can argue that it's still inside, you know, the fruit of it, but yeah, the stuff that, that is sprayed on, um, just giving it a good wash, we'll, we'll just wash it right off. And what is some advice that you would give to someone that were to ask, hey, I never really felt depressed before. And ever since I started, you know, eating different foods, I feel depressed. Like, is there a certain kind of food that we should absolutely not eat and not just the obvious of processed foods, but is there anything that you've learned in your time and all the years you've been doing this that, you know, if someone's feeling depressed, you're like, well, is this in your diet? Because that's a hundred percent, you know, pushing you towards that direction in your mind. One of the biggest things, and I'm glad we haven't talked about it yet, but one of the biggest deficiencies that they've found for people that have depression, um, mental health disorders, bipolar disease, um, and any other kinds of mental illness um, has been omega-3. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, omega-3 is technically a fish oil? Yes. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's, it is found in fish oil, but it's also found in, in other foods. Um, so yeah, fit, fish, uh, fatty fish, like tuna, mackerel, um, sardines, that's going to be a really good source. Um, if you, if you do eat fish, but I, I know that not everybody does. So, um, you can also like vegan or vegetarian sources. You can also find it in, um, in seaweed, walnuts, um, chia seeds, flaxseed, um, and then you can get, you know, the, the oil, like flaxseed oil, um, you know, if you want to use that as well. Um, so there's definitely, did I say hemp seeds? No, hemp seed too. Oh, yes. Hemp seeds cool. too. And then there's even some microalgae supplements that will have the omega-3s as well. Um, and will they have enough omega-3 for you to notice a difference? Well, they, they recommend getting 1.5 to 2 grams a day. Um, so just kind of be like, if, if you are getting it from supplement form, making sure that you have, and it's um, EPA is the type of omega-3. Um, you just want to make sure that you have at least that 1.5 to 2 grams of the EPA 
um, total in a day. And it, it can, it, it could help reverse some of those symptoms. Absolutely. Especially if starting off you were, you know, you had a deficiency of it, you weren't getting Mm -hmm. enough in your diet then. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I come in your office and I'm like, oh my God, I'm Looney Tunes right now. What can I do? You would go through everything that I eat and, you know, all this stuff. And you know that I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat. I don't eat fish. I love pasta, love bread, love burritos. What would you say is the one thing that I'm missing? Okay. And me too, by the way. I love all that stuff. <laughs> like so much. <laughs> um, um, let's see. What's the one? So I would, I would um, look at, you know, when you do say all that stuff, like what, what's accompanying it? So what, what would be your, um, your protein sources? What types of fruits and vegetables are you getting? Um, the, the carbohydrates that you are getting, are they whole grains? You know, how much fiber are you getting from that? Um, and what kind of fat are you like what types of healthy fat sources are you getting in your diet, which, you know, goes with the omega-3. Um, and that's kind of how I, I like to view nutrition in, in general is like, is someone, is someone getting balance? So are they hitting all three of those things that are they getting enough carbohydrates, fat, and protein? Um, are they getting variety? So that, you know, kind of going along with that, what I was talking to you about with the fruits and vegetables, all those amazing antioxidants and flavonoids. So um, I, variety is super important to ensure that you're getting everything nature can offer you with that, you know, in, in that realm. So I always, I know it might be, it might sound silly, but to eat the rainbow, basically making sure that you're getting food, fruits and vegetables of every color, because each color signifies a different type and amount of, um, antioxidants and flavonoids in, in that food. Um, it's like so lucky charms taste the rainbow. Oh wait, no, that's Skittles. Skittles taste the rainbow. And Lucky Charms, is, what's Lucky Charms? They're magically uh, delicious. Right. <laughs> Which is all very true. So not those colors, but really fruits and vegetable colors. The real, yeah, the real deal colors. <laughs> Although treating yourself to Lucky Charms isn't, isn't you know, a terrible thing. Either. There's nothing wrong with a little Irish cartoon man feeding you pots of gold in marshmallow flavor. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So no, but it is true. It is all about a balance. And I think that that's what people are, um, not quite aware of and beyond just the diet and stuff. They're like, Oh, well I add my broccoli today, so I'm fine. But it is, you know, you, you should, for me, whenever I get vegetables and stuff like that, even if it's a little bit here and there, I want to make sure I have every color pepper, right? Because each pepper has, I'm sure, maybe I'm making this up, their own nutritional value. There's something different with orange, yellow, red, green. Is that true? Did I make that up? Well, I think (laughs) I would say, I would say more so because if it's the same pepper, um, I think the different colors of the peppers is based on its well, I think it's based on its ripeness. Um, oh, like, okay. Agree. Like, but but that's exactly <laughs> the right idea, because right. exactly it, in general, different you know the different colors do represent a different amazing, like different amazing properties and things that it does for your health. So right. 
if you, if you find yourself and this is, this is what I would ask you too. Okay. Like let's, let's really take a look at what it is. Are you consistently just eating the same types of things, you know, or how often are you mixing it up? How often are you asking yourself, what vegetable haven't I had in a while? Or like, have I tried this fruit in a while? Like really finding areas where you can, you know, add in where you haven't been, haven't been having much of that one thing. Right. Right. Finding, finding where you can, can get that in. So I would, I would really want to look at what you're putting in and all of that stuff. And then finding out where are there, where are there holes, where are there vacancies of, of different things that you could possibly be, be missing. We kind of like real question that. So I love pie. So what you're saying is if I have apple pie, blueberry pie, pumpkin pie, technically they're all different colors. So does that count as a good nutrition? (laughs) (laughs) That kind of goes into, you know, um, part of this other uh, area of nutrition that I have found a lot of love in now, and it's kind of growing in popularity, which is intuitive eating. What's Um, intuitive eating? So in, intuitive eating is basically, um, it is the idea that with food and nutrition, going back to the basics of using your, your own self, your own hunger cues and your fullness cues um, as the things that are driving your food choices and your food decisions rather than following a specific diet or a specific outline, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier of like all the detrimental effects that um, diet culture has on mental health and well-being, And, um, and in particular, like number one, I think is, is your relationship with food. Mm-hmm. So all of these messages that, that we're getting basically is telling us that, you know, there are certain good foods and certain bad foods. And you're good if you're only eating the good foods and then you're terrible and you're doing all these bad things for yourself if you're eating the bad foods. So it creates this dichotomy and, and this labeling of, of good for you, bad for you, um, which, which just isn't natural and and isn't normal. If you think back to when we were little, did you ever remember feeling like, Oh, I shouldn't have that or, you know, totally, you know, like that's, that's that process is a completely learned process. Well, the only reason why I say I wasn't allowed to have certain things was because I was lactose intolerant. That's (laughs) right. Yeah. I grew out of that. So yeah, I shouldn't really have this ice cream, but am I going to do it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, of course, (laughs) but as an adult, I'm like, well, let me really think about that. Like, is it worth being sick over? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and it always is. It always is. Yeah, of course. Uh, so many times I've made, made those choices, but <laughs> yeah, of course, if there's like diet restrictions and food allergies, like hundred percent by all, but it is know, a total learned behavior. Like you said. Yeah. If, if it's not, you know, like a, a health thing where you truly do have to restrict it. Um, yeah, it's totally learned. And then, and then even the process of deciding how much or knowing when you're full um, or when you're actually hungry. So when we're, when we're little, you know, we're taught to finish your plate, right? Like you can't get up from the table until you finish your plate. Well, all that's doing is actually teaching kids to ignore their own body's natural fullness. 
cues. They're, we're teaching kids to ignore when they're, when they're satisfied, when they feel comfortably satisfied. And that's actually um, just an, an innate thing um, that, we, that we grow up with. We know little kids know when, when they want to eat and when they're done based on what their body's energy needs are. Right. It, and it and it fluctuates. One day they might be running outside playing with their their you know the neighborhood kids all day, and the next day they might be really really hungry. But right. then you know maybe it's a weekend where it's a rainy weekend and everyone's kind of hanging out and watching TV. They may not their bodies know that they don't need as much energy to sustain them. So that next day they may not be as hungry. But what happens is when you get told you still have to finish your plate. It's yeah. pushing past that natural inclination, like, okay, I'm good to stop. So we're yeah. Ever since the start when we were little, we've we've pretty much just bulldozed through those those natural intuitions. Um, so intuitive eating is kind of going back to the basics of of relearning how to know when you're comfortably full. Right. Um knowing when you're actually hungry instead of kind of like sticking to this regimen and eating what you know even if you're not hungry. Um, so it kind of teaches you to, to go back to the basics, um, with that. And, um, it's also, you know, a big part of it is this like anti-diet, you know, mentality, um, to throw out everything, you know, allow, give yourself permission to unconditionally eat. Um, and, and the thought there is the, the, more you develop your relationship with food and, and, um, respecting your body, respecting your hunger, not shaming yourself for eating something. It actually takes that, that stigma and that obsession factor away because you're not restricting yourself. You're not thinking about it anymore. You're, you know, that the ice cream will be there tomorrow. Right. So it's okay. You don't have to eat it all tonight. Right. Because it'll be there tomorrow and it's okay if you have some. Right, right. So if it's you it's okay to have a little treat here and there. Absolutely. And and you know, even even looking at it as a treat, I know I said it earlier, it's it's so in, ingrained with everything, but even viewing something as like, ooh, this is only a special food, that's also something that this practice of intuitive eating would say is, you know, to stay away from that because all foods are good foods, you know, and, and just listening to, to your body's, you know, right. cravings and, and things like that. Um, uh, of course, you know, being a dietitian, I always want to, you know, knowing about nutrition and a balanced diet is important. So it's kind of having that in mind as well, knowing that there are foods that nourish your body better mm-hmm. and kind of achieving that balance, but being able to take yourself away from it and not overly think about it or create this, this strict rule set for yourself really just sets you free. It gives mm-hmm. you food freedom and, um, and really repairs that relationship with food that our whole lives we've, we've been at. at I odd. love that food freedom. Yeah. I feel like that's what I want to call this episode. It's like food freedom. Maybe <laughs> food that should freedom. be your new like Twitch bio, you know, that's true. food yeah. freedom you know, food freedom for all. Well, I really appreciate all of this because I think that, um, a lot of people in the mental health world talk about what's missing just in, just in general and, and the practices and the tools. And I don't hear a lot of people discuss how your gut health affects your mind. 
-hmm. and people don't have those tools. And having a nutritionist is, you know, a luxury item, just like a therapist is a luxury item. And I think what you're doing is just so great how you're making it accessible to people. I think you should continue with this Twitch thing. And I think you should make it an IG live show. And then I think you should have your own podcast because I think that you have so much to say. You're so relatable about it. And you're not... um, you're not someone that's telling someone what they should and shouldn't do. You're not a Weight Watchers. You're not Jenny Craig. You know, you're just like, yo, I'm Kristen. Like, this is my story and this is what's going to help you out, you know, and, and take it with a grain of salt. But this is, this is what it's about, you know. Um, before we leave, I've been asking everyone this question. Uh, what, who, whom, however you want to say, is your emotional support. Oh, wow. Um, you're right. I should, have, I should have thought about that knowing that. No, that I, I don't tell anyone beforehand. <laughs> um, you know, hmm. What, whom, or, what, who, or whom? Um, I mean, of course, the first person that comes to mind is my mom. I mean, hands down, she's my best friend. Uh, you know, she always has been. And, um, you know, whenever there's anything going on, she's the first person I'll text or call. And no matter what, just always helps put things into perspective for me. Um, so definitely, I would definitely like number one, my mom for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, just one of those special things. Like if you're so lucky to have a mom or an awesome mom, you know, it's just, you know, that's still with you. It's just such a blessing. So I'm appreciative for her. And take it as much as you can because it's it's something special, you know. Exactly. If you're blessed with a with a, a parent that is your best friend, there's nothing better in the entire world. Yes. Um, well, Kristen, how can everyone find you? Yeah. Well, good question. Um. So, so yes. Um. So I do, uh, I am a practicing dietitian and I, um, have my own nutrition practice called Roseberry Nutrition, um, which is the cutest name ever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So, um, that I do virtual nutrition coaching. Um, and, um, you know, I, of course, when all this COVID stuff, um, I, is fixed. I want to do more, you know, in person, you know, especially if you're, if you're in the area. Um, but anyway, so you can find me, um, you can go to roseberrynutrition.com and that's roseberry. So R O S E B E R R Y, um, nutrition.com. And then follow me on my socials. Um, it, which is just at Kristen Espinoza on Instagram. And it also has all my links on there. Um, and we'll put that at the bottom so everyone can see that too, so they can easily get that from the emotional support um, Instagram and website yeah. and all that. So they can click on that because I think, yeah, I, I really, I'm going to push you to do a podcast and I'm going to push you to do this Twitch show again. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. I mean, I, I, lo- I loved the Twitch thing because it felt it was just kind of like live in there and the questions yeah. would come in. Um, uh, yeah, I, it's definitely something I, I want to get back into, but a podcast, that's a, that's a really good idea. Um, you know, I'm just planting it in your brain. Yeah. You've, and you've inspired me cause this is super fun. Isn't um, it fun? And it's, it really it's, is. 
it's just like hanging out and, and especially if you don't know that person, I know you, but there's been some new people that are coming up on this season that I had never met before. Um, some I'm filmed and some I haven't yet, but it's so, it's so exciting to open your eyes up and your ears up to hear about new experiences and, I've never spoken with a nutritionist before. And so it's really fascinating to hear the specifics of what you should, not even what you should and shouldn't do, but your recommendations and what you think that would benefit someone, especially with mental health specifically. Um, so I, I, I just, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Well, thank you. well, I adore you and I'll see you at Game Nights next Yes, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Emotion, Al, support.